0: Black Doctors podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors podcast. I'm Steven, your host. Today, we're privileged to be hearing from Dr. Terry Malcolm. She is an obstetrician and gynecologist. She is practicing out on the West Coast and her career has taken a number of different turns, which I think are incredibly interesting. And I'm looking forward to hearing everything that she's gotten into. And she has so many tools that she, she can use to help physicians that are currently in practice. So Dr. Malcolm, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, it's really a pleasure to be here and to chat with you. So thanks so much, Stephen.
0: Yeah, no, pleasure is mine. I think with this show, I've been able to meet so many different and interesting people, but I do tend to stick within my peer group, whether, you know, about five years ahead of me in practice or, or still in medical school. And I think, you know, one reason I'm so excited to talk to you is to hear somebody that has practiced for several years, has built a practice and has even transitioned to bigger and better things.
1: Wow. Well, I'll definitely take that as a, as a compliment. I feel like it was just I took one day at a time and uh, still can't believe kind of the journey and the path that, that I've had. And as a matter of fact, I just got a message today reminding me of my 20 year med school reunion and that we're going to be celebrating that next year. So it's officially 20 years this year in 2020. 21 but just because of the the pandemic the celebration has been postponed for for next year so so yeah i i I started medical school when you know when i was four so (laughs) you know the time has flown by
0: (laughs) that child prodigy
1: yes
0: (laughs) um so i i mean I, i know you have so much to share can you tell us about your pathway into medicine when did you decide to become a physician
1: yeah so my my pathway i guess is probably kind of textbook to some degree when you, when you think about how did you become a doctor? Were you somebody who knew very early on that you, that you wanted to become a physician? I, I was one of those. So I was somebody who knew from a very early age. I, I can recall as early as the age of six of telling my parents that I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't fully understand what it was to be a doctor, but I had, uh, dolls that were doctors, and I <laughs> loved the stethoscope, and I loved the white coat and uh, all of my you know dolls were dressed up and looked very professional and so i I knew i wanted I knew I wanted to be a doctor and a lot of the women in my family were nurses, and my One of my aunts told me that I reminded her of the doctors at the hospital that she worked with because I was always reading. I was always sitting and reading books and the doctors at the hospital that she worked with were always reading. So as I really started to understand sciences and explore sciences, it just was the perfect... Um, opportunity to really connect my love and passion of sciences with my desire to help people and help people feel better that I wanted to become a doctor. So once I was on that trajectory, it was all about sciences, 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 and all of those AP classes and trying to, you know, and being a pre-med student and, and pursuing, pursuing that path. So it was, you know, kind of, kind of a dorky, nerdy path of sorts. (laughs) I didn't have, (laughs) wasn't a whole lot that I, um, that I looked that I was really involved and invested in other than sports. Sports was a big, a a big part of of my life and a a great way to really just stay active and and stay in shape. And uh, so it was really sports and it was medicine. And so that's, yeah, that's how I ended up becoming a doctor.
0: Which sports?
1: So swimming is where I started and where I stopped uh, in, in, um, in high school. So my freshman year of high school and still to this day, my, My dad holds that over my head because he had great, yes, he had great dreams of me being in the Olympics. And I didn't, I didn't think it was going to happen, but, um, but yeah, so it was swimming and it was soccer and tennis. Triple threat. I did. I dabbled. (laughs) 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 I I, I can't say that I was a master, but I will say I I dabbled in all
0: of those. But yeah, those, those are my three sports. Awesome. So you attended medical school at Tulane. Yes. Were you familiar with the area? Um, how was that time period for you?
1: No, I did not know anything about New Orleans until I went to interview. Um, as I uh, for for medical schools, I was looking at all of all of the schools and what schools had to offer. I remembered the advice that a pediatric resident gave me when I was considering medical school. So early on, I thought I wanted to be a pediatrician. And I remembered asking a pediatric resident how he chose where to practice his residency and, and, and ultimately go to medical school. And his advice to me was, if you can afford to go anywhere that you really want to go from medical school, go if if you if you know financially you can afford it but even from a standpoint of just your other responsibilities outside of being a medical student then go because medical school is such an amazing part of your life and when you finish medical school you're really starting your career and you want to think about where you might want to be full-time as you're starting your career if you're if you have a family and if you have maybe aging parents or you need to be a caretaker or what part of the country you might really want to live in so his advice was just don't box yourself in when you consider medical school and i had i was born in arizona really grew up in Northern California, had not ventured out beyond the West Coast very mm-hmm. much other than for kind of short-term vacations. But as far as school and things of that sort, I just really hadn't seen much of the country. And so I, I really took his advice to heart and said, let me look across the country as far as where would I really like to just see what part of the country and what schools match with my values and what am I looking for in a school. And Tulane was at the very top of my list as I learned more about the school. And and then when I actually got a chance to interview, I was invited to interview and talk to the students there and could hear how much they loved the school and how supported they were and how close they all were as as, as students. I thought, this is an amazing place. And I wasn't married at the time. I later you know, met my husband in, in New Orleans, but I wasn't married. I didn't have any children. I was 23 years old. So it was like... I, all I have to do is pack up my Honda and my Beagle dog <laughs> and I can go to my home school. So I, I just thought this is this is a great opportunity and it's four years. And after those four years, then I can really look at, well, where do I think I want to be in terms of my career now and building my career? So that's how I ended up at, at Tulane. I just thought it was such a fantastic school that I couldn't say no to.
0: That's, that's so beautiful. Uh, the story of, of adventure, because I think when people are applying to medical school, it can be such a daunting task and you're thinking about the loans and the stress of medical school, but it it really is an adventure. I know I chose between Atlanta and uh, DC for medical school and a lot of it was the city and DC was amazing. Howard was one of the best decisions i made in my life.
1: Yeah. I, I, I love that you called it an adventure because that's really what it was for me. And I, I don't think if, but if i had not really taken that sage advice that i would have thought about this as as an adventure and i and i do understand it is important to really consider the financial commitment right. and potential debt with, with medical school. So again, you know, this was with the caveat that if you can afford to do this. So I would, I, I know medical school students now, they're coming out with hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of debt. So it's, it's not to say, Hey, the sky's the limit and it doesn't matter what the price tag is. Cause no, we, we have to really think about, do I still want to be? paying back loans when i'm 75 years old right. but um you know just at, at that time the timing was right for me that i could do that and and so i i chose to really look at it as an adventure and so where can i go
0: so dr malcolm you enjoyed your time in new orleans but like every true west coast person you went right back home when you were done for residency <laughs> and for your career
1: I I sure did. I I it was it was pulling me back very very quickly. So as I as I said I met my husband in in New Orleans. So he was at Xavier College of Pharmacy. So he's his background is in pharmacy and he went on to pursue a fellowship and when he finished his fellowship and got a, a, now we were like you know, moving into adulthood, now we were going to be adulting because right. he was gonna have a job. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, now we had to consider, okay, where where do we wanna settle? Where where do we think we wanna live? And his family was on the West Coast in in California. So he's a California boy, and my family was in Arizona, and we said, let's let's go to Arizona. We we had not started a family yet, but we knew we wanted to, and so we wanted to be close to our parents and and be able to have that have that support so it, it was not difficult to say can we move to arizona he's like yeah let's go
0: <laughs> and, and in arizona you finished residency you started to build your career as an obstetrician and gynecologist and how was that transition into practice how did that go for you
1: my my transition was was pretty smooth i i did know that coming out of residency i wanted to stay in the area and I, during my chief year, I was pregnant with our first son, so it was really important that I stay close to family because I I, I knew I was going to need a village to help me help me raise a family and one one of the residents who had graduated the year before me had enjoyed an employee practice and was coming back to do occasional call at at our program and actually he was doing calls specifically to pay for a car that he really wanted to buy that his wife didn't want him to buy because (laughs) (laughs) she said we don't need this we don't need this car but he really wanted this car so he said i will find the money to pay for this car so he was taking extra call to you know fund his luxury item that his wife said you really didn't need and we were chatting one night on call and he said hey where are you thinking about working and I'm not sure yet. I'm still just kind of pursuing options. This was at the very beginning of my chief year. And some well, of my practices is, is hiring. Are you interested? And that conversation one night I'll call really snowballed to me then getting phone calls about, would you like to join the practice and come out and interview? And before the year was over, uh, like half midpoint of my chief year, I had been offered a job. So I stepped right into an employed model. Okay. I, I came straight out of residency, went into um, an employee practice. We were kind of like, I guess, smaller, mid-sized practice. There, we were five, five OBGYN physicians, three nurse practitioners. And uh, that, that was my first introduction to a real job.
0: And could you explain that employed model for an obstetrician, gynecologist, as opposed to other models of practice?
1: Yeah. So it. I was employed by a healthcare system. It was a, a large healthcare system, and I was asked to serve a, a, two primary hospitals within the area. So they wanted me to have privileges at those hospitals that were under their umbrella, and then work within their designated office to serve patients that were, you know, part of part of that community and that were very loyal to to that organization. And so they they paid me a base salary and there was opportunity for bonus and there was, you know, structure around expectations for productivity or a panel size or a a work RVU. Um, RVU stands for relative value units. There were expectations around how many patients that you're seeing a day and how many WRVUs are you producing in a, typically within a month or on a quarterly basis. And there are benchmarks that have been set by, the Medical Group Management Association, or MGMA, which has national benchmarks for each of the subspecialties, like the 25th percentile, 50th percentile, and, and on up. And they also provide you with benefits, like healthcare insurance and vision and dental. And then they take care of all of the management of a practice. Okay. So I had a, um, I had a medical assistant that was assigned to me that was hired by the organization and paid by the organization. And then there was a practice manager again that was hired and paid by the the organization. And then you had a designated location or office that you were that you were working working from. And so you're immediately kind of part of this very large network and this very large community of of physicians. And the organization really takes the responsibility of the business side of medicine mm-hmm. and allowing you to kind of focus more on the clinical side of medicine.
0: Yeah, that's so interesting. that That's how you started. And I've been looking at your your <laughs> website. Your website's fantastic. It's mastermdleaders.com. And you have so much information. I'm nosy. I run a podcast. So um, reading <laughs> no, your you story.
1: That's like, just your <laughs> research, right?
0: <laughs> My research. Read your story. You started in this employed model, but you quickly rose through different roles. Can you talk about that rise into leadership and taking on more responsibility?
1: Sure. So as I, as I said, when I joined this employed model, my focus was on being an OBGYN and being the best OBGYN that I could be and delivering, you know, quality, compassionate, safe clinical care. And didn't even think about the business part of medicine. Didn't even think about really what's involved in terms of running a practice because I thought my job is to just be a doctor and see patients and take good care of my patients. Right. And with, I I'm gonna, I think it was within our first year, maybe year and a half of, of, of my practice. Then we have this meeting with administrators, none of whom were physicians. They were all healthcare administrators who had a focus in healthcare, but you know, they're, background was in business and they pulled my group to together and essentially told our group your group is not profitable oh you're you're not yeah you're not making money and we want to know what can what can you do to turn the turn the boat around or, or at least how can we lessen the the deficit that that exists here and i was what are you talking about <laughs> i no idea I mean, it was all the, the language that they were using was completely foreign to me. Just the whole topic was came out of left field for me. I, I thought I'm doing a great job. I, right. My patients like me. My patients keep wanting to come back and see me. I'm building a really strong following. I'm, you know, I'm functioning well above the expectations, and I'm at the hundredth percentile for patient satisfaction. I don't what what do you mean? It still wasn't good but, enough. Yeah. So um as they were asking us questions about what can you do to improve the, the, you know, the profitability and what can we do to improve the operating margin here, I realized I, I'm in way over my head and I don't, I don't know the answers to these questions that they're asking. And my, my husband had finished his MBA and so I was asking him questions and he was explaining things to me and it was making more sense because he was being patient with me and helping me to understand, but I recognized again, I don't understand this. And so that's really what led me to pursue my MBA. Okay. Cause I started getting really curious about the business side of medicine as I kept asking more questions Then, of course, uh, a whole nother slew of questions then would, would crop up. And, and I said, I just need to take the time to educate myself so that when we reconvene or when we start having more of these discussions, because I knew it was going to be the first of many, I want to be equipped and I want to be prepared to speak their language because they're talking Greek <laughs> and I'm talking <laughs> something else. And, and, and I've got to quickly um, educate myself. So that's why I started pursuing my my MBA. And and then after I finished my MBA, the organization I was part of had started a leadership program specific for physicians and the cohort that I was part of was for all employed physicians within the organization. And so, you know, I threw my name in the hat, I applied, I didn't get it the first time, but I got it the second time and said, I want to really understand more about this organization. I want to understand more about the the business side of, of medicine and how to be a good leader, how to, how to lead as a physician, because, most of the time when I was having discussions with leadership, there wasn't a single physician in the room hmm. we, it was it was only us it kind of it kind of felt like that us versus them
0: right
1: um, discussion and and as so as we were trying to explain the clinical side and they were trying to explain the business side and both of those need to coexist, but we couldn't Completely understand what one another was saying because we have such different educational backgrounds. We have such different experiences, and I I want to be I want to help bridge that gap, and I want to be involved in that decision making that is directly impacting how we as physicians are delivering the care. Because I'm hearing one thing coming from all of my physician colleagues, and and I'm hearing something else when I'm with non. Physician administrators, and there's got to be a way that we can bridge this gap. And and so I just kept volunteering. I kept raising my hand and say, I want to be involved. I want I want to help to make an impact here. And can I can I come and be part of these discussions and part of these conversations?
0: Huh? And how often were they looking for people? Was it hard to step into these roles?
1: Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not as though. Uh, especially at that at that time, the physicians weren't necessarily just waiting for for you. Um, or a lot of physicians who were in these official leadership titles, and at that time, the only thing that I saw was to be a chief medical officer. That was really the only thing that, as I was looking around, that I saw existed. Those were individuals who were much older than me, who had served many more years than I had. In terms of their clinical practice, and they had they were winding down, or they had retired from their clinical practice, and had, it was just a very natural, smooth segue from clinical practice after twenty plus years to now being a, a physician leader. Mm-hmm. So I really I didn't see anybody that looked like me, just in terms of age. And I most certainly didn't see anybody that looked like me in terms of being a black female physician. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, those those jobs were not just sitting there waiting. Like, come on, Terry, <laughs> you said you wanted to be involved. Well, here's a job for you.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, he hustled <laughs> and, and made it. What? Um. So for people that are, say, a year or three out of residency, they've been working on being the best physician possible. What are some of the entry level kind of C-suite roles that they can start down that path?
1: I started as a physician lead uh, and that was a leader at the office level, so at the clinical office level. And that was a new program and a new position that the organization that I was part of had created. So before all I saw were chief medical officers or the chief clinical officer. And then they did start to expand and create levels of Physician leadership throughout the organization so that you could, you could get that entry level, like you said, kind of like an entry level manager mm-hmm. or a nurse manager. That's, that's what then became available for physicians. So that's, that's where I started. So I would say to anybody who's interested in something like that. And if you have an opportunity to be a physician leader and if there's that official title, I mean, that it will vary, of course, from office to office and location to location but maybe it's a medical director in in your area um, maybe it's leading a project it may not have an official title and leadership has nothing to do with titles so I just really want to put that out there even you can have a, a title a leadership title and be a really ineffective leader yeah so it's it, you know the focus is not on on title at all. But if you get a title, you will probably at least have some responsibility for leading projects or leading teams that can give you the visibility and allow you to really be involved and start showing what you're capable of doing. So if, you, if there isn't an opportunity for an official title, then ask, Hey, is there a clinical initiative that I could start to lead? Or is there a team project that I could be involved in and I could be the team lead? For, for the group and do really, really well in that and perform and excel in that. And then that will start giving you the visibility to where you can say to a hiring leader or another physician lead say, I want to be involved or my path is I want to get this particular role and here's what I've been doing and how can you help me do that?
0: That's good. That's really uh, good and helpful. Actually, some things that I've considered doing at my current job and will definitely be relevant for me uh, in the near future. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Putting it out there. You know, I, I, I think I made the mistake early on of keeping my goals to myself and holding it in. Like, I don't, I don't want anybody to uh, reject it. I don't want anybody to tell me I'm crazy. And what are you, what are you, you can't do that. You haven't been (laughs) able to do that, but nobody can read your mind. They don't know what you want to do or what your, what your goals are unless you're willing to broadcast and unless you're willing to share it. So, so yeah, just, go ahead, raise your, raise your hand and and ask, can I do it? And let, let me step in.
0: Yeah. And you were looking at your, um, your website here, you worked your way up to that penultimate title of chief medical officer. Was it everything you hoped and dreamed it would be? What was your experience?
1: It, it was, I mean, yes and no, I'll say, um, it was in the, in the sense that I had, you know, achieved this level of, success as far as i set a goal and i really when i went after that goal with gusto and and got there and so there was a lot of joy in goal achievement and i love working with people and that job gave me the ability to work with people every day and people that i really loved working with and new people that i would not have otherwise i think had a real opportunity to engage with with you know As an OBGYN, it's really easy to be kind of isolated on planet estrogen. You can just just kind of go in and out and, you know, labor and delivery. It's its own, like, locked private unit. Yes, it is. You you can't even get in unless you have a special badge.
0: I I was on planet estrogen earlier this week.
1: Okay, (laughs) So, you can relate. <laughs> you can relate. Do did you, did you have access or did somebody have to buzz you in? Oh,
0: I, I have access because of the you know, epidurals and spinals and I'm intimately okay. involved with uh, planted estrogen. I, I like that.
1: Okay. So, you, So yeah. So, anesthesia, gets, <laughs> um, they get special special treatment, but you know, even like a hospitalist sometimes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's locked to everybody it's, else. It's, it's locked. They, they, they you know, and it's, of course, for protection. of of the moms and and their newborns. So it it is very easy to just stay and live on planet estrogen and just go in and out. And and other than going into the main OR for your gynecological patients, you're, you're kind of isolated. And as a chief medical officer, I just loved that I got a chance to see the other planets that are out there, the mm-hmm. other planets in, in the solar system, and really engage with my colleagues from all different specialties. So that part of it, I absolutely loved. I loved the coaching and the mentoring. Um, I loved the the peer culture, the just culture that that really existed. Um, I did. I really enjoyed um, focusing in on quality initiatives and really advancing care. Um, you know, I, I will say what was the downside of it as much as I loved the people, you don't always get to choose the people that you work with. Yeah. And so if there's not a really good match and there's not a really good pairing of some of the people that you're working with, then, you know, the job isn't as fun.
0: That's good. That is a, uh, it, reading your bio and your website was just so inspiring because of everything you've accomplished. And the fact that you got to this point and that isn't even the end of the story, it's really just the middle (laughs) because you've since transitioned into a totally different role uh, where you're uh, much, much less clinical. Can you talk about that transition from clinical medicine and administrative leadership to where you are currently?
1: Sure. I, uh, as I was moving into Various leadership roles of increasing responsibility. I, I did start to reduce my my clinical time, and then when I moved into the chief medical officer role, I I reduced it even more. The uh, the final final transition was clunky and really messy, and it was not perfectly smooth at at all. I I and I think a big part of that was. I failed to be honest with myself about what I, what my capacity was and what mm. I could do and what I couldn't do. Um, I thought I was superwoman. I thought I had incredible like she powers that I was going to be able to manage a, pra- a clinical practice, even if it was at 15 or 20% and be a hundred percent chief medical officer. Well, that adds up to 115 to 120%. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you can just imagine that's not sustainable. And uh, and I thought I was just going to defy the odds and prove everybody wrong because the other OBGYNs who had come before me had already said, Terry, you're not going to be able to do this all. So go ahead and start winding down, start thinking about how you're going to phase out. And it's like... I don't need to do that. I can figure that just because you couldn't figure that out <laughs> doesn't mean that I can't figure that out. So yes, at that time, zero self awareness, let's just say. <laughs> so it, the the transition out was, was not as, as smooth as I, as I would have liked for it to been. And I really I had a kind of a sense of guilt that I was letting my patients down and, and abandoning them because they had been so loyal to me and so committed to me after years of of being part of of my life, and um, and you know, and then it just it finally hit me when a patient told me she had been waiting, I think weeks, to get in to see me, and she had a problem, and she said, "No, I'm i just I was going to wait. It's it's okay. Whenever you can get back into the office, I'll see you then." And I just thought, this is uh, this is absurd. You should never. If you have a problem, you should not have to wait. Mm. And I have extremely capable, excellent partners who can care for you, and and so I you know officially said, okay it's time to let go of my panel because we hired new people to replace me to pick it up. And it's time for me to really let go and let them step in and take care and take care of the patient. So it was, it was kind of clunky. I have to be honest, it was not smooth at all transitioning to out of, out of clinical practice. But I, I knew it was a
0: disservice to the patient to keep doing that. Wow. No, it takes a lot of self-awareness and uh, yeah, that's a big step.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, I, didn't think about physician leadership. I didn't even know about physician leadership when I not only started medical school, but even when I finished medical school and graduated from, from residency training. I mean, there are a lot more opportunities today in for official leadership roles, which I think is phenomenal. And if it's something that you're pursuing, I say go for it with total gusto. But I I didn't think about it when when i was in medical school and i wasn't exposed to it so i just i thought i was going to be a doctor i really really thought i was going to practice as a clinician for you know until i was ready to retire
0: yeah yeah and you mentioned on your website that one of the things that helped change the trajectory of your career was hiring an executive coach do you tell us Mm -hmm. more about that
1: yeah, I hired an executive coach as when I was going or oh, actually as I finished the leadership program. So when I was in the program, we were assigned a coach. We were it was a, uh, I think about 35 of us in that cohort and then they split us up into smaller groups of about 6 to 8 doctors and assigned coaches to each of us or, with, or each of the groups and I had never heard of a co- heard of a coach outside of a sports coach before. Right. It's like, I've had a swim coach, I've had a tennis coach. We what's, what's an executive coach? What is this? And I was so curious about how the coach was asking us questions to really get us to reflect on where we wanted to go and what how we were finding purpose and finding meaning in the work that we were doing. And it just opened up my mind to possibilities that I hadn't considered before. And then as I thought about, well, where do I want to go with my career? And I was looking at individuals who had achieved that. They had had coaches. They had, had at least engaged with a coach and had partnered with a coach at some point in their professional careers. So I said, well, that's what I need to do. <laughs> I'm going to follow in their footsteps and I'm going to get a coach. And so I I found um, an executive coach. I still work with him to, to this day. And... He's just been so great of asking me really thought-provoking questions and you know pushing me in, in areas to get me to step outside of my comfort zone. And it's always about focusing in on my goals. It's always about focusing in on what is it that I really want to do and helping me to align my actions with my values and really finding that purpose and joy in the work that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so, so I was hooked.
0: I was totally hooked once I started working with Coach. Oh boy! So, Doctor Malcolm, I mean, there's there's coaches for everything these days. When you say, co- I'm gonna keep it real. When you say Coach, I'm um, I'm seeing some dollar signs and some money flying out my window. I got student loans. Uh, I'm a couple years out of residency. How do you manage that? You know, the expenses because I'm, I'm sure you're – these coaches you get paid. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you decide? You know is it worthwhile and at what stage in your career should you be looking into something like this?
1: That is such a great question. Um, so, and you know, okay, hey, you're, you're asking the preacher <laughs> <laughs> about how long, you know, the sermon should be oh, on Sunday. Boy. So so recognize I'm biased. Okay. <laughs> i have just be very honest. Um, Cause I, I do think that every physician deserves to have a coach. I just think that it's having that person who is in your corner outside of your the support system that you already have, outside of your your partners or your children or mom and dad, brothers, sisters, grandma, grandpa outside of that circle, which you know I, I also think everybody should have a, a board of directors, your own personal board of directors. The coach is somebody who is willing to also be very honest and direct with you and hold up the mirror to you about what it is that you said that you really wanted to do. And is totally focused on you and helping you to achieve your goals. I just think having somebody like that on your personal board of directors is invaluable because this journey is not linear. yeah, And it is definitely not exponential. And there are so many setbacks and so many pitfalls along the way. And it, the coach has just helped me so much in moving beyond those moments of being stuck of just like, I know I want to move forward and I know what I want to do, but I can't figure out what the next step is that I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, you know, I, so I, again, like I said, as a preacher, of course, I'm going <laughs> to say I got to preach until I get my message across on Sunday morning. But, um, but with that being said, you're right. It, coaching does come at a cost, and and so it is it is an expense, and the the cost varies greatly, and the coaching background varies varies greatly, as does the coaching niche. So there's so many different kinds of coaches out there, and I love that too, that it's coaching, is we can be specialized within this great big umbrella of coaching, just like we can be specialized as clinicians under this great big umbrella of medicine. Yeah. So it's about finding out what are your, what are the goals that you're trying to pursue? And if you have some financial goals, you might want to financial coach. If you are having challenges around uh, burnout, then you might want a coach that really focuses in on burnout. If you're a new, newly graduate of your residency training, you might want a coach that really has a target clientele of, of clients in their first year to five years out of residency training. So it's great to do your research and find a coach that can serve your goals and serve your needs, and it's really, really important that you find somebody that you can trust. That's because com- confidentiality and a trusting relationship
0: are like the the key elements of of coach. Amen, preacher. <laughs> <laughs> now that, that like,
1: don't get me started Steven, yeah. seriously i mean i i will like i will fully get into the pulpit oh boy
0: <laughs> but it, it's, it's starting to make some some sense and and the thing about your story is i feel like you've come full circle where you know you started you did these incredible things in the hospital you had a coach that kind of helped you and now you yourself are a certified physician executive and physician development coach so tell us about yeah. that because that is your new mission in life um just talk to us about that.
1: Yeah, that, uh, that grew out of my love of coaching and the the impact that it had for me personally and professionally, and that I wanted to offer that to our community, our physician community and our, our colleagues. So when I was looking for a coach, I was trying to find a physician coach and I couldn't find one, maybe Maybe I just didn't know where to look, but at the time I couldn't find one. And I also could not find a female physician coach, and I could not find a female physician coach of color. So as you hmm. just start, you know, right. narrowing the field more and more and more, I I realized I I, I don't know, I, I don't, are they out there? and And if they are, I don't know where they are. So I did start coaching within the organization. I was just doing some some peer coaching, not being paid, no compensation. It was just something that I that I really love to do. And then I knew that coaching, I started to really understand coaching is its own craft, it's its own art. It's it there are a certain set of skills that I really need to develop if I want to be the best coach that I think that I can be. And so I chose to go full throttle into coaching training and and education and didn't initially think that I was going to become like a full-time coach or really start my own business. But that's one of the things that's so great about coaching is that it opens up your mind to what can be. It allows you to see possibilities in yourself that you would not otherwise have even considered. And it let me imagine. And I remember the last... Um, day of our of our coaching program, and we were all sharing what we were gonna what we were gonna do next. And I happened to go into a program the the first program I went through. There were no I was the only physician in the cohort. Okay. And everybody they been, and all of the men and women were from lots of different industries, and they were all talking about how they were either expanding their coaching business or they were starting their coaching business. And then it was my turn to speak, and everybody said, "Why Why aren't you starting a business?" And I said, because I didn't think I don't I don't even know how to start a business. you have the skills, you have the training. What's stopping you? And I said, wow, but I, I don't know where to start. And they all said, we're here to help you. You will, will, we will encircle you, whatever assistance you need. And they just started sending me tons of information. Like, here's my business plan. Here's what I use for my contract. You know, here's who, here's what I did to get my website up and going. And I just got inundated with information, and, and so I thought, "Why can't I do it?" And and that's really where you know master physician leaders started. Was I knew that I wanted to offer this service, and I knew that I wanted to be able to other physicians and provide them with a resource that I didn't have, and when I was looking for it, and and that, and that's that's how that's how it started.
0: And how long have you been uh, offering your services?
1: Oh, it's been a little over two years now. It's been initially started as a consulting firm, and then Master Physician
0: Leaders, you know,
1: was birthed in in twenty nineteen. So a little over, yeah, a little over two years.
0: Wow. So, I mean, Dr. Malcolm, please uh, let us know what services do you offer. What's your target market, um, and, and what are you up to with? Master physician leaders. Yeah.
1: Um, so, staying true to form of physician leadership um, development, that's what I that's what I love to do. Is I really love developing physician leaders of today and and of the future. So, I I provide executive coaching to physicians at various stages various stages of their leadership journey. And really helping them to achieve their goals in the position that they may that they may have. Uh, so I I work with physicians on helping them to build trust with their teams to lead trusting teams. I'm helping them with strategic planning. Um, I'm I'm helping them to tap into their inner leader, which is to me that's that's that really wise sage person voice that's inside of you that that just needs to come out and knows that it's a safe place for you to come out and for you to for you to talk and for you to just step into yourself so that's that's what i'm doing now so really my my clients are at all levels have all different backgrounds in their clinical training and where they're at in in their life but what they're all completely focused in on is being the leaders that they know that they can be and really thriving in that role as a physician leader.
0: That's, that's awesome. Dr. Malcolm, thank you so much for coming on the show and and you shared so much. What, uh, what would you like to leave with our, our audience?
1: I would encourage anybody who's interested in physician leadership or just interested in taking on some new roles outside of clinical practice within their organization to start looking around and seeing what opportunities are are there around you. Like I said, it may not be um, actually reducing your clinical time to step into a formal role. It could be leading a project, leading an initiative, because I, I really do believe that all physicians are leaders and that as physician leaders, we, um, we are going to change healthcare delivery and completely transform healthcare delivery. And we have the ability to do that. So I encourage everybody to become the leader that I know that they can be. And that I think, you know that, that you can also be. And, and I invite you to go to my website, like you said, mastermdleaders.com and sign up to get my free ebook and journal. It's a free complimentary workbook and journal that is just filled Full of tips, strategies, tools that I've used along the way that I have found to be so effective throughout my leadership journey and would encourage you to, to start it and give it a try and, and see what kind of difference it, it makes in, in your life and, and let me know how it goes because I'd, I'd love to share your, your testimony.
0: Awesome. Well, Dr. Malcolm, I will personally go and, and check it out. Um, I'm sure some of our listeners will as well. I know you also have an Instagram account, Master of Position Leaders on Instagram. What other social media venues can they f- see what you're up to? Yeah.
1: So I'm on LinkedIn. That's how you and I yes. met and connected. Yes, so yeah, so please find me on, on LinkedIn. And on, on LinkedIn, I use my official name as Teresa, <laughs> Teresa, <laughs> Teresa Dean Malcolm, because I've uh, gotten messages from people like, we can't find you. Where's Terry Malcolm? So Terry's my nickname, but please, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn um, as Teresa Dean Malcolm. And there's no H in Teresa. It's T-E-R-E-S-A. So I'd love for us to connect on on LinkedIn. Like you said, I'm on Instagram. Master Physician Leaders is my, is my handle. And um, I'm on Twitter. I have a Twitter account. I'm not as active on Twitter. I, I think I, it's it, it really moves so fast for me. I have a tough time keeping up. But I am I am on Twitter. So we can connect on Twitter as well. And that's um and that's also Master MD Leaders. So uh, so yeah, I have I have a social media but I'm out there and I would I would love for, love for you to connect with me because I love meeting new people. So let me hear your leadership story and your leadership journey because we all have one.
0: We all have one
1: and I'd love to hear yours.
0: Dr. Malcolm, thank you so much for joining us here in the Black Doctors Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley, your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist.